welcome aboard the Battleship Retention. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bass. And thank you for listening. David, yes. how you doing? Um, um, I'm wary about the future of movie going in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Uh, we're in a weird time mm-hmm. right now, um, theater-wise. Not to, obviously, it's been a couple of years now since the, the Cine family uh, right. closed. New Beverly closed for a while. It's back now. We've got the Alamo Draft House now. Still haven't been there. Oh, I have no. Did they did they take over? Did they take over the downtown independent or no? No, just... downtown independent is still okay. going This is a, a new theater um, that I'm not really interested in going to. I, I, no. I don't understand how. Uh, we, we talk about like some people get you talk about like canceling people. You know. Yeah. Sometimes I don't understand how other people survive. Like, why is the Alamo Drafthouse brand and Tim League and all that like still? I, I don't. I don't understand how we're all okay with that somehow. What right? happened? I don't uh, remember now. That they, um, t- Tim League and his wife, who run uh, Alamo Drafthouse, um, basically were protecting their regulars who were harassing their staff by doing things like, you know, a female staff member would complain um, uh, about a regular harassing them and they'd move her to a different Alamo draft house to work at a different Alamo draft house. This is, this is, these things happen. They've admitted that they, how remarkably, uh, Catholic of them. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and they, they downplayed, uh, over and over again. Um, obviously there's, they also like fantastic fest is involved, you know, and that was with both Devin Faraci and Harry Knowles who both have yes, that's uh, uh, right. history, okay. you know, they've, uh, uh, catered to them a lot like the the Alamo draft house history with this kind of stuff but i guess everyone draws the line in different places because i still watch movies that are released by neon which is also owned by Alamo draft house oh. um so i i guess everyone draws the line but i just i have no interest in going to the, that wasn't what i was bringing up here by the way also what yeah no sorry uh also when it comes right down to it like when you for years we were hearing about like the legendary alamo draft house and like the way it's like trying to to preserve the sanctity of like watching movies movies a certain way while also apparently still serving uh, Serving. food with like forks and knives and and glassware and come on like you're still going to make noise but nonetheless throw you out if you open your phone Right. And don't get me wrong, I don't like that, but it's it's just like, okay, so where does the standard end and where does it begin? And also, we live in Los Angeles, there are already theaters that, they well, don't necessarily the do that, but they do still, I mean... But here's the thing. Uh, so, the Egyptian might get bought by Netflix, that's yeah. been uh, in, in the news for a while. Um, as far as that's concerned... Now Lemley is up for sale. The entire Lemley chain. That does bum sale. me out quite a bit. Um, it makes me worried. Yeah, because I love Lemley and always have, and also I live walking distance yeah. from Lemley. Um, uh, and then for what it's worth, there's only one IPIC in Los Angeles that mm-hmm. I know of in Westwood, but IPIC also filed for bankruptcy this week yeah. uh, or last week. I can't remember. Um, so we're looking at a changing culture. Um, I mean, there's no longer really movies at LACMA, I think. Oh, yeah, uh, I guess not. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a changing culture of movie going and I'm, I'm worried about both repertory movie going and sort of independent art house type of movie going. And in general, I mean, 
first off, based on articles that I've been reading about the decline of Netflix, who knows if they're actually going to uh, be able to afford uh, the Egyptian. But um, yeah, it's I wouldn't. I'm interested to see who buys the Lemley Theaters. Like if it winds up being like AMC or Regal or or just one of the larger chains, I just think like you've got Disney buying other studios, you've got bigger theater chains buying small one smaller ones or just small ones going out of business. And it just feels like we're I won't say we're turning back to like a time of monopoly necessarily, but I do feel like things are I worry that maybe 10 or 20 years from now, there will only be like, of course, there's always going to be smaller studios, but there will really only be like four big studios and then, or maybe even three and then only two or three big theater chains. And those will be our options, which, you know, is something that uh, tends to, I don't necessarily have a moral obligation, a moral uh, objection to it. It's more just, the more options, the better usually because going back to Lemley, I mean, just one thing before, and then I, I feel like a hypocrite here because I've got my, my AMC, uh, membership, which allows me to see a certain number of movies. Um, and that's for practical reasons. But before I had that, I was pretty loyal to, uh, Lemley theaters. Um, and one thing that I always took comfort in was that, if I missed a movie at one Lemley theater, I knew that it would go to another and then another. And so like I, it was, it was not going to be out of, it was not like, Oh, well it's not at the NoHo seven anymore. So I guess it's gone. It's like, no, it's going to go down to Encino or or Santa Monica. And so it would just uh, like in the, the Lemley theaters, it's almost like they sort of believed in a movie enough that they were going to make sure that you had ample opportunity to see it. Um, and that was something I always liked. And now if they get bought by a chain less committed to that, then that's, who knows? I don't know. Um, I've seen a lot of speculation from all over the place. Uh, we'll see. Um, I will give a shout out to our friend Scott for as awful as the situation is, he got a good tweet out of it, Mm. uh, which was, uh, we have to know, sorry, for non-Angelinos, the Lemley operates a theater on Santa Monica Boulevard called The Royal, mm-hmm. and he tweeted bad times at The Royal. Hey, that's <laughs> fine. Uh, but what I really want to talk about right now is tweakedaudio.com. That's, that's what's really on my mind. Tweakedaudio.com mm-hmm. is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Today, now I know everyone is thinking, because rest in peace, David Berman of the Silver Jews uh, died just yesterday. Um, uh, I was at this recording a few days ago um, when you were hearing it. Everyone's saying, oh, obviously David's going to talk about the Silver Jews or Purple Mountains. And yes, I did listen to that. I did listen to that uh, uh, today on my tweet, Tardy.com earbuds. But also, you have to remember that for the first time in over 10 years, there's new tool music <laughs> right, yes. in the world. And they've released a new song that is, uh, I guess, a there's a minute of song for every year they were away. It's a 10 and a half minute song. Hmm. And, uh, it's, uh, it's really good. I am an, I, I, I made it, I reached a point in my life years ago where I realized I don't believe in guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel guilty by the fact that I like tool and have pretty much always liked tool. Um, I, I understand that the, that, um, Maynard Keenan is not, uh, uh, a role model mm-hmm. um, 
and uh, that a lot of their fans are probably not at all. But if you judge a band by their fans, you wouldn't be able to like anyone. Yes, yes. Because um, everyone's terrible. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, I know that some people roll their eyes at, at Tool, that it is... Uh, and even I agree, Tool is like... You know, there's a certain part, there's a certain point of your life for a lot of us. And I think you and I both went through this part probably mm. as teenagers where you get really into Bill Hicks and you're sure. like, this guy had it figured out. Yeah. And I feel like Tool has a lot of that sort of like way of looking at the world. Mm. Uh, like it's cool to be cynical type of right. type of thing. And I get that that's all embarrassing, but I just really like the music. I like Maynard's voice and the new song's good. My, my exposure to Tool is very, very limited. I mean, obviously like everybody else that I love the video for sober and I like the song itself. Um, and then what I've heard, I didn't dislike, uh, but I didn't necessarily seek out either. Um, so, uh, and I know that uh, there are, there are people that enjoy them. It's, it's such an unfortunate band name. It just, you know, it's, you're just welcoming, uh, yourself to be called that, uh, if you are a fan. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's something I, when I've, when I heard about, it, I was like, oh, you know what, maybe I should go back and, and listen to them. But yes, I could see it being, them being very much a, a product of a certain type of nineties mentality. Yeah. Um, but the music's still really good, I think. Sure. Uh, and this new song didn't, didn't disappoint. Um, especially by the time it builds to its conclusion 10 and a half minutes after it starts all right so it sounded great on my maybe that's why i liked it so much as i was listening yeah. to my tweakedaudio.com earbuds they're available at a low low price at tweakedaudio.com but if you use the offer code pretension at, check, at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension I also, before we get started, I wanted to talk about our Patreon. Um, so if you go to patreon.com slash battleship pretension uh, it you will find a really great way to support the show while also getting new content uh, exclusive to Patreon subscribers. Uh, we have three different uh, subscription tiers. There's the $2 per month tier. We call that the Swabby. And for that, uh, you get one new audio-only episode per month. Um, and uh, you never know what kind it's going to be. So uh, it's it's really just You're if you want to... You're a madman. Uh, yeah, that's about right. Um, you know, that's from, uh, uh it sounds very familiar. Man. I like that. Oh yeah. Okay. Dennis Hopper and speed. Yeah. My, my go-to line for that is always, uh, I think he says he's like, he's talking about Keanu Reeves when he's on top of the train. And it's like, uh, yeah. he goes, uh, he's so persistent. Oh, he's, he's so persistent. He always gets his man yeah. in that very Dennis Hopper, delightful voice. And it's fun. I think this is, you're giving a little glimpse into our speed commentary track, Indeed. Yeah, but it's fun to rewatch speed knowing that Joss Whedon rewrote the whole thing. Sure. Pick out Joss Whedon lines. Cause that one is, that's oh, a Joss Whedon line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's the, uh, the the swabby situation uh it's essentially meant for if you want to find a way to support the show while also getting a little bit of content or if you want to just try out the patreon at very low cost to you that's the way to do it but let's say as invariably you will you decide you love what you're getting and you just want more well then you can head on up to uh the petty officer tier uh which is five dollars a month and that gets you uh, a new audio episode every week um 
And then if you enjoy that, but you're like, I want to see the faces, the crazy faces that uh, David and Tyler are making while they record. Well, then you can go up to the Admiral tier, which is $10 per month. And, and for, for that, that, you get the head, the, the, tail, tail, the, whole, the whole damn, damn thing. thing. Uh, but yeah, not to mention um, older, uh, older premium episodes. So uh, there's a lot, you can get a lot at the, uh, at the Admiral level. And we're actually looking to uh, incorporate more so that, uh, uh, you know, Ooh, yeah. admirals, they get a little bit extra. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, um, they are our favorites, no question about it. Um, no, we love all of our listeners, even those that, uh, uh, for one reason or another are not, are unable to take part in the Patreon. Uh, but again, it's a, it's a way to support the show and you also get, uh, new content, uh, as a result. So go to patreon.com slash battleship pretension to, uh, to give it a try. So let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Um, I'm assuming you came up with this topic in reference of Quentin Tarantino not appearing in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You'd think so, but no. As I was making my list here, he showed up towards the end because I forgot. Um, oh, that's a, yeah, that's what I assume. So, so we're going to talk about because we've done an episode on actors who turn actor turned director. Yeah. But uh, you wanted to talk about directors who act. Yes. Now. I set up very specific guidelines for myself. Okay. Which is actors who direct, uh, sorry, directors who act in other people's movies. I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about a Clint Eastwood or a Quentin Tarantino, but although he's acted in other people's stuff too, which is fine. Destiny turns on the radio. Of course not. Why would I? I did. It's really, really, yeah. Um, Um, but he's been in other things as well. So, so I didn't entirely do that, but I definitely have some of those, but the one thing I wanted to get out of the way is I found that there are certain directors, you just mentioned one, that started as actors that I have come to think of as directors first. Sure. Clint Eastwood, weirdly, is one for me, especially yeah. in the last, in the 21st century especially. I think of him as a director yes. first. Um, but another one, uh, John Cassavetes, I think was a director first, but started as an actor. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Guest. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, and John Huston. Yeah, uh, it's tough because John Huston, I mean, he they kind of happen at the same time as being an actor and a director. Um, okay. I definitely think of him more as a director, yeah. but he has acted quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he's usually my go-to. Like, But I'm not incorporating Roman Polanski, who acted in his own movies. Um, and to my knowledge, and, and he might have been have acted in other people's films, but I think of Chinatown, I think of The Tenant, uh, and stuff like that. But, um, okay. but John Huston is usually who I think of first um, because he's... A lot, as I was making my list, a lot of these are almost cameos. There's really not much to them, but John Huston in The Other Side of the Wind, um, obviously Chinatown, there's a film called Winter Kills, which is a TV movie in which he plays sort of a Joe Kennedy type. Um, and then he, uh, he, uh, he was in one of the apes movies, uh, oh. in the seventies. Um, cause he just has that wonderful voice. So he's sort of like a lawgiver type. Um, I think I tend to think of him first. Uh, and that might be because I think of him first as a director yeah. and okay. then, but then is so wonderfully utilized in, in these other films. And so, uh, you mentioned cameos. I, I wanted to mention that I, I set aside. Yeah. Roman Plunsky, Alfred Hitchcock does his right. cameos. Peter Jackson, Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. He did a cameo in Hot Fuzz as Santa Claus. Oh, um, that's right. That's right. Um, 
Yeah, that's my second favorite cameo in Hot Fuzz. The other one is Kate Blanchett. Oh, sure. Um, anyway, and then Sam Raimi. Uh, is it, he's in um, Miller's, Miller's Crossing. Crossing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was in uh, he was in the um, the TV miniseries of The Shining. Again, just in a one scene cameo. Okay. Um, and I and oh, and also The Stand. And I think they're directed by the same guy. I think it's Mick Garris. I'm not 100 oh, okay. on that. Um, uh, and so yeah, he shows up for like one scene in both of those. And then I'm gonna name a couple more that I'm sure you didn't think of. Okay. They're not. They played themselves on television. Oh, okay. James Cameron played himself on Entourage. Okay. And then. <laughs> I bet you didn't know this. David O. Russell played himself on Gossip Girl. I did not know that. Yeah. Why would I? Because <laughs> um, there's a, like, uh, uh, Serena got like a summer internship with his production company. And within the world of Gossip Girl, and this is before Boz Lerman's Great Gatsby. Okay. David O. Russell was making a Great Gatsby movie. Okay. And so he played himself. Didn't have any, didn't like, uh, you know... Uh, have a temper tantrum or throw an extra to the ground or call a beloved actress the C word or all the things that he's actually known for doing. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, he doesn't do that anymore, right? Like, that was very much like a late 90s, early two th- like mid 2000s. Like, I don't know what would have stopped him. I, ho- I would hope he doesn't. I've heard that he has like mellowed out, I think, since becoming like a father and that sort of thing. Like, I've heard that his sets are pretty okay now, but that might, maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part. Maybe. Um, so, uh, I'm not sure how to, I don't necessarily want to just rattle things off. Um, but I, on my list here, I have a number of, cameos in which the so yeah i'm gonna rattle off cameos and then i'll talk about more substantial casting situations so um and incidentally as far as directors playing themselves um i remember it's not a good movie but in uh uh Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Uh, Gus Van Sant is there for uh, Goodwill Hunting Two Hunting Season, and he's just sitting in his chair counting money. And they say, like, they say, like, uh, Gus, what do you think about this? He goes, I'm busy. <laughs> it's, uh, I think that's what it is. Um, but uh, so that's pretty funny. Um, okay, so Steven Spielberg is in the Blues Brothers. He, he, yeah, he's, uh, I think he's the Cook County assessor. He shows up, he's on his lunch break, just eating a sandwich and that's it. Uh, and it's, so that's, it okay. doesn't even count as a performance. I would Speaking say of Spielberg, Francois Truffaut is in the third, close encounters of the third kind, which I don't, th- I was going to get to bigger than a cameo. That's bigger than a cameo. But um, um, do you have some, something wild on there? Because I don't. That, that has, um, am I missing one? I think it has three. It has, uh, like John Sales plays like a mo- motorcycle cop. Oh, okay. And John Waters plays like a car salesman. Hmm. And there's like I think there's one other like there's like three there's like director cameos. Well, uh, in that that's Jonathan Demi, right? Yeah. Pro- uh, Roger Corman's probably in there because he oh, used maybe. Corman a couple of times. Um, he, he uses Corman as like the, the head of the FBI, I think, in Silence of the Lambs. Um, but yeah, so I do have Corman on here. A few directors have, have used him, and they're usually just glorified cameos. Um, I'll say Shane Black in right. in... Oddly enough, I didn't think of Predator because that's actually a bigger role. Um, but he's in as good as it gets. Uh, that's he's like the the owner of the restaurant, and then Lawrence Kasdan is also in as good as it gets as uh, Nicholson's therapist. Again, only in one scene, um, which is it, it, very strange. Um, and then uh, let's see, Martin Scorsese is in 
I mean, he's in a number of his own films, but he's also in a uh, quiz show as, as is Barry Levinson. Um, well, speaking of directors playing themselves on TV, Martin Scorsese, I remember, memorably played himself on yes, The Sopranos. of course. He didn't have any lines. Yeah. He just walked into a club. Um, so it's, it is interesting. So the question here is, because I mentioned Barry Levinson, he plays Dave Garraway. Uh, he's in more than one scene. It's, it's, it's not a supporting, I mean, it's a supporting performance technically, but it's like a two or three scene. Just, he's just there. Uh, and he does a good job. Um, and then Scorsese is like one of the sponsors. I think he's like the, the head of Geritol or something like that. He's in one scene, uh, and they both do a, a fine job. But it, the question then is a cameo is one thing. That's like a, Hey, look, mm-hmm. But then when they're playing real characters, even even if only for a scene or two, and we'll get to like real performances, full on performances later, but why? Why aside from just the director maybe wanting to have one of his director buddies or one of his director idols just there? Like why why do that? Yeah. Why take that away from a, a, a character actor who could use the work, you know? But are they good, would you say in the movie? I think so. I I mean uh Barry Levinson does a great job i think um playing this uh playing a tv personality i don't know why i keep thinking of television shows but one i think is really good and really weird to think about now is when gary marshall played essentially essentially les moonvis on louis oh like, which yeah which oh, i didn't see they never call him les moonvis but that's mm-hmm. clearly uh which is so strange now because now gary marshall's dead and les moonvis and louis ck are both like canceled or yeah. whatever strange but it's a great pro- he's fantastic oh it's he's great i remember when he was on murphy brown uh as like i not like the owner of the station or but again he's when he's in like a, when it's gary marshall in like authoritative roles uh-huh. which he often plays which is hilarious to me because he just always seems so frazzled um yeah. but uh and even like orange county uh he's he's great in that um and then you know over time, I think I started, I, I, like you were talking about, Harold Ramis started as an actor, uh, playing very notable roles and then became yeah. a director. And then I think of him more as a director now, but Rob Reiner's like that too. Sure. Absolutely. Um, um yeah, I put Rob Reiner down and I was like, well, there's a lot of people who do just think of him as yeah. an actor. He was meathead. He was yeah. acting as recently as Wolf of Wall Street, probably since then. Has he probably worked? since then, yeah. Sure. Um, but I do still think of one of my favorite lines from Orange County. It's from Harold Ramis. And other people quoted it, but he goes, Sean, you are my same height. <laughs> that is neat. But it's it's his choice to say you are my same height. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's the brilliant part. Um, and so it is, I'm not opposed to using directors in these cameos as long as they're good, um, which speaks to the use of Roger Corman, oh, yeah. uh, who is not I, a d- very dynamic screen presence. I don't know how I just brought up the fact that Gary Marshall was in that multi-episode arc of Louis mm-hmm. and didn't bring up the fact that David Lynch is also in <laughs> sure. That, yeah. Uh, and yeah, he's acted obviously in his own stuff mm-hmm. plenty, but he's pops up in other, other yeah. stuff from time to time. And he's always, he's, uh, I mean, this, yeah. And when you talk about before, like with Barry Levinson, like why not cast a character actor? Like yeah. you're not going to find a David Lynch type in the, pool of character actors along those lines i will now use this to get us into um more substantial roles and Werner herzog in jack reacher oh yeah, yeah. sure also um um julian donkey boy 
Um, which I didn't see, but oh, he did he's watch that together. He's also in uh, he's in a scene from uh, Parks and Rec uh, okay. where he plays a guy buying uh, he's selling his house, and uh, when they ask him like why are you selling, he goes. Uh, I think he, I don't remember what the lead up is, but he ultimately just says, so I can be closer to Disneyland. (laughs) (laughs) And that's Uh, the thing you don't, that's, that's why you cast him because you have him say these things, but he's not funny in Jack Reacher. No, I mean, he's He's, kind of wry when he, uh, the one guy, he says, gives him a choice. Basically, I'm going to kill you or you can, you know, cause I had to shoot my fingers off. Yeah. You know, you can, die or live without your fingers yeah and he's like all right can i have a knife did i have a knife <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and so he yeah makes the guy choose yeah. choose between chewing his own fingers off or dying uh and yeah uh but also we're forgetting a great Vernon herzog performance as himself in uh um incident of loch ness boy yeah that's right really really underrated funny uh horror comedy found footage horror comedy yeah it really it was Werner Herzog plays himself and he's going to make a documentary about the Loch Ness Monster is that what it is I think so and they're on the boat like scouting or whatever and actually get attacked by the Loch Ness Monster I haven't seen that movie in years I haven't thought about it I loved it at the time yeah it's very fun um but uh so okay I will get to now um the the uh, this is what where this came from oddly enough it wasn't uh tarantino or anything i was thinking about um eyes wide shut and then i was thinking about Sidney pollock and and he's also in michael clayton he's in and, and he acted in his own stuff as well he's in tootsie but he's in a civil action like he's in changing lanes often playing these I- well-to-do uh, guys, and but it's funny. I think of him more as an actor who directs. Did he direct first? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, he because made. He's got such a character actor, like <sighs> setting, carriage, voice. He was also uh, Will's dad on Will and Grace. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, uh, he was really good on that. Yeah, I, that's it's funny because I, I kind of thought of him, but I was like, oh, that's more of the other category. But I guess if he was a director first, I think people our age uh, probably he's. I mean, he, he directed through the nineties and two thousands, but just nothing remarkably high profile. But I mean, he won best director in 85 and then he made Tootsie. Like he was kind of this staple in the seventies and eighties. And then I think just started showing up in, uh, his own stuff, uh, doing a wonderful job in Tootsie. And then just in these other things, often playing these charming, but morally bankrupt, uh, corporate characters. Yeah. And he's great. Like it's it's a it's a situation where, um, where he does make the characters his own. I mean, I, when I think of him in Eyes Wide Shut uh, and stuff like, I mean, it, and even something like Michael Clayton, where he has to be there with George Clooney and Tom Wilkinson and Tilda Swinton, like the he shares scenes with like the re- the these big actors giving often big performances mm-hmm. and he has to hold his own and i think he more than does he's i, I uh, absolutely think that's that's why i think of yeah. an actor he has a, a very specific type of on-screen charisma um and i one thing one thing that i really like about him on screen is that he just exudes intelligence um like when you see him in changing lanes a movie that i loved at the time and since i have affection for i think it's probably a bit on the nose but he plays this guy who 
he's he's kind of a villain, but he also is just pragmatic. And you really get the impression like he's the smartest guy in this film. Like him, him making him being sort of morally compromised doesn't mean that he's dumb or that he's not brilliant. And so that, and same with Eyes Wide Shut, he's just remarkably watchable. And you kind of wonder if, if, because uh, I do, I remember I, I consider him something of an actor's director as well. And just I wonder when you're working with Dustin Hoffman again, he's also acting off of him in that. Um, and then I think he also directed The Firm, which has a, it's got Gene Hackman and obviously Tom Cruise, but also. Um, Oh my God, Hal Holbrook and various other really great actors. And so like, do you just sort of, in order to direct them, you, I wonder if you have to sort of speak their language and maybe you just sort of absorb some of that stuff. Or again, it's not like he had a lot of range, but he just has a natural charisma. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think of this person as a director first or an actor first? Kenneth Branagh. You know what I think? I tend to think of him as, as an actor first. And I, th- I think I think of him as a director hmm. first, probably because the first thing I ever saw him in would have been Much Ado About Nothing, I think, which he directed. Yeah. So I, th- I guess I thought of him as a Woody Allen type who appears in his own movies. <laughs> and yeah. also because then he, right after that, he played the Woody Allen role in Celebrity, <laughs> yeah. which I'm just making that, uh, that connection. Um, but yeah, I think of him as a, as a director first, but he definitely has acted a lot in a lot of other people's stuff. And he's his, and that's the other thing is it's, I think it's silly of me to think of him as an actor first. That might just be because that's how I was introduced to him. But I mean, he still makes, I mean, he made Thor, he made murder on the Orient express, Cinderella, Cinderella. I mean, he's, well, he just did all is true, which is not great, but he which just, one is that? That's the one about oh, that's uh, Shakespeare, right? Shakespeare. Instead of Shakespeare in love, it's Shakespeare in retirement. Got it. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. So I definitely think of him, yeah, I think of him as an actor, but yeah, I, I think, and maybe his career was sort of the, they were, they both were at the same time. He directed Henry V, right? That, yeah, I think that might've been the first thing he directed, Okay, which I've never actually seen. Um, yeah, neither have I. Um, but I've heard is, is great and I don't doubt it. Um, and what's interesting is when I think of him as a director, he seem he very much, and I don't say this in a negative way. He seems like an act, a uh, director who started as an actor. There's such a theatricality yeah. to the way he directs. I always forget how much like non, how early he was doing non Shakespeare stuff because mm-hmm. obviously like, it's Henry Henry V and Much Ado About Nothing and Love's Labor's Lost and Hamlet. Like he did all those. Yeah, but he also like right after Henry V he did Dead Again. He, oh yeah, and then Peter's Friends, which I oh was, yeah I know that one. What's that one? Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, Emma Thompson, of course. Uh, yeah, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. He was uh, in. Uh, uh, he was in Othello. That uh, he didn't direct it though. Um, no, didn't Tim Blake Nelson? What did he? He did. He did. He did oh, oh that's yeah. What I'm of, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't remember who directed Othello, but I. But again, that's Shakespeare, and that's you know he plays uh, Iago. Um, but yeah. Uh, so. I will mention, so we talked about Tarantino. I'll just say this to get this out of the way. Obviously acted in a number of his own things, um, but he also had notable roles in uh, Robert Rodriguez films, like in From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Plays a very notable supporting Large role there. Uh, and a and small then, but memorable role in Desperado. Yes. Uh, and then also 
small but memorable in uh, Planet Terror. Um, I never saw it. But uh, yeah, it's I won't even describe it. It's uh, quite disgusting. Oh, good. Okay. But uh, um, but then again, there's as I mentioned, Destiny turns on the radio. Yes, absolutely. Uh, a movie that uh, I remember. I can picture the cover because I would, uh, I mean, it's not like I was ever restocking it because why would anybody ever rent it? But, uh, (laughs) but I did notice, uh, I did notice that cast and it seemed very much like a movie that existed solely because Pulp Fiction existed. Um, that is trying to sort of borrow that vibe as, as so many movies were at the time. Okay. Um, cause you know, he plays like a magical character who emerges from a swimming pool Uh and like, gets involved in people's lives <laughs> to use George Cassandra speak. Sure. <laughs> What's that from? That's when they're p- pitching ideas for Jerry's sitcom. Yeah. He says, what if you're, what if you run an antique store and you'll come into the antique shop <laughs> and you get involved right. in their lives? That's right. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, okay. So, uh, here's one where a director, he's not playing himself, but he, kind of might as well be and that's uh, Jean-Pierre Melville in Breathless um, okay. he's only in like one or two scenes and he is this artist who's being interviewed and he's very pompous and saying really horrible things about women what are the odds um, and so that one uh, and I didn't remember that one until watching it uh, again in the class that I was teaching yeah, I um, have to narrow my list down if we're not doing directors of action their own film oh sorry well, I like okay. Mel Brooks has, has appeared as active sure. non Mel Brooks movies, sure. like Life Stinks, yeah, which I never saw. I did when I was a kid. I remember very little about it, except he, I remember being like, "Hey, that's Miss Scarlet." That was um, it. He was himself on Curb Your Enthusiasm, mm-hmm. in which they, he and Anne Bancroft cast Larry David, yeah. in the producers, in order to bankrupt it. Like they're essentially yes, doing the plot of right. the producers. Uh, and then it's an accidental hit. No. Yeah, that was funny. And then Mel, Mel Brooks is also himself on The Simpsons, where I believe Chief Wiggum like pulls him over and goes, "Hey, you're Mel Brooks. I love that that uh, bit. Uh, the thousand was a thousand year old man." Yeah. And he goes, Let, "Let's do it now. You be Carl Reiner, and I'll be uh, Police Chief Wiggum." <laughs> and then <laughs> Mel Brooks goes, he "Goes, how about this? How about you be Carl Reiner, and I'll be Police Chief Wiggum? I hate Carl Reiner." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And also not true. They're still very good friends. Very good friends, yes. Um, okay, so I have, I now have, uh, oh, and I already talked about this one. So I really only have like three to talk about, which is unfortunate because we, uh, you know, maybe this will be a short episode. We, we could stand to do a short one. Well, I'll mention some, uh, uh, another one. Um, again, this guy does act, appear in his own films a lot, but has appeared in other films. Takeshi Kitano okay. recently... Um, on the Patreon, when we did our best of 1997, I talked about his film uh, Fireworks, uh, mm-hmm. which he is is in. But he's also very notably the main villain in the uh, Japanese cult favorite Battle Royale. Oh, okay. Uh, did you see Battle Royale? You know what? I think I started to watch it many years ago okay. and never finished it. Um, I got far enough uh, to yeah. kind of get the vibe of it, but I don't think I ever finished it. So he's like the main bad guy. He's really good in, in that. So there's, a, there's one. Mm-hmm. Okay, should I keep going? Please uh, do, yeah. Because again, uh, I only have three, and you you will probably hit. You already, you know what? You already did actually. Uh, so I'll talk about it, which is, uh, pardon me, uh, Truffaut in. Oh yeah, um, okay. 
in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And that is a, a notable role. It's a supporting role. And, um, and it, again, it's a, it's an odd choice. It's not that Truffaut does a bad job. He does, I think he does a very good job, uh, playing one of, being part of a, a larger ensemble of just these characters that are obsessed with this thing. And I think the choice to cast, frankly, just a non-American, I, I like that, um, because we're talking about a, a huge phenomenon and it would, it, it would span the globe. It would not only be American characters, even though that's the nationality of the primary character. But, um, but I do wonder, uh, I haven't seen the film in a long time, but his character does stand out to me a lot. Um, and I wonder if it's just Truffaut, like when I've seen interviews with him, uh, he just seems, again, he seems like a very intelligent, but I also think kind of down to earth person. And I feel like just in that larger ensemble, because Richard Dreyfus plays just a working class guy. And then we see this character who is French, which already makes him sound kind of smart. Uh, and also, <laughs> and also he just seems like an intellectual. And so I, he seems like a guy that when this guy is just as obsessed as Richard Dreyfus, it lets you know that it's different nationalities and just different types of people. Uh, and it also allows you to put more, more expository dialogue into his mouth and it doesn't necessarily seem expository. Uh, it seems like just a natural extension of who he is. And when I, when, again, when I, so that's the nature of the character. And when I see Truffaut, that's kind of how I see him as just a very interesting, but not haughty, type um and uh so i feel like i'm sure spielberg also just really liked the idea of working with him for a moment um yeah and uh but i think he has uh, affection for that character all right let me bring up one this is like an old school episode where we're just bouncing yeah we just come up with a thing we have our own list we bounce back and forth like the old days uh it does feel like the old days and it's gonna be short like the old days Mm -hmm. um here's one that I think we tend to think of as a, as a director first, but I think he might think of himself as an actor first. Okay. Tyler Perry. Oh, sure. I get the impression that he directed uh, Diary of a Mad Black Woman because he wanted it done his way. Probably, yeah. But I think, he's, I think he is a performer first. I don't know if you... I don't actually... I mean, I know that he acted in the plays that he wrote, mm-hmm. uh, but... Yeah, I do feel like he's an actor who was like, I'm going to make my own shit because uh, that's no very possible, doing it. But yeah. I think he always did it with the intention of being an actor. Yeah. And he's acted in, uh, he was great in Gone Girl. He sure was, um, yeah. I, I didn't see that one where Jack from Lost was all wiry and cut. What was that movie called? Oh boy, I don't remember. Um, it's like Tyler Perry's like, got a shotgun. Oh, is it uh, Alex like Cross? Alex Cross? That sounds right. It's yeah, a because it's a super shitty tagline where it says, you don't cross Alex Cross. I'm like, what? But That you took know, no time at all. Uh, yeah, but if it had turned out to be a good movie, you'd like it. Because I remember when I saw the tagline for John Wick, which mm-hmm. was don't set him off. That's fine, but you're not using, you know, like, don't light this wick. Like, you don't want to... it wanna... also feels like reverse engineered like they came with the tagline first and oh like, sure let's just name the character john wick yeah that's true if the movie hadn't been great that would have been dumb but now i yeah. love it because i love the movie um so uh and i remember like i i um back in 
film school back at uh, Columbia, uh, I was in a film noir screenwriting class. And so I was writing like an old uh, Mike Hammer type, even though I don't like those books. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I like the idea of that character. And so my main guy, who was a, a detective who was who used to be an enforcer for the mob and then abandoned and changed his name. And so he picked his name. Uh-huh. Uh, and so his name is uh, Frank Dodge. And I remember liking that because, A, he's dodging the mob mm-hmm. and also dodge like a car that just is going to run into you. Um, I remember being very proud of myself with that. Um, and so I was just like, Oh boy, what's a, what would the tagline be there? And I couldn't think of what it would be, but, uh, but I remember character names. Well, that's, uh, that's something that I feel like we could do someday as an episode, just about character names, maybe that, character names, that, yeah. maybe that aren't based on, on previous things, but, uh, but just original character names. Well, yeah, you got the, all the home games. Oh, sure. Those Absolutely. Are names. Uh, Zayfod Beeblebrock's from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Sure. Once again, based on a book. Uh, oh, right. You're right. Um, but, uh, Archibald, well, Archibald Cunningham from, uh, Rob Roy, where it's like, we need as many <laughs> syllables as possible. Um, well, as long as we're tuning our own horns for character names you came up with, do you mm-hmm. remember you and I and our friend Vinny, who I think listens to the podcast, hi Vinny, uh, were trying to write a, like an animated thing together that's forever ago. Oh, yeah. And I came up with a newscaster named Brock Shothouse. I love that. <laughs> and too. I and, and back when uh, when Vinny was going to actually like animate this, I remember I did the design of Brock Shothouse, and I was very, uh, very proud of that. But uh, Yeah, I don't remember much about that, uh, but I do remember being very proud of coming up with Brock Shothouse. Uh, yeah, it's, and it was... <laughs> I because we recorded it. We actually re- did like we were, did a voice track for it, oh, wow, and then I, right. and then Vinny was going to do something. And I remember, uh, and I did the voice of Brock Shothouse, and I enjoyed saying, and I did just kind of my standard like official voice. Um, and so the line is Brock Shothouse reporting live from a volcano, uh, and so and I think you wrote that. Um, funny. It is funny, uh, but I remember. Vinny and I, when we were recording it, we really liked the idea of Brock Shothouse emphasizing live. All right. <laughs> and so it wound up being, uh, uh, let me get into my voice here. <clears throat> uh, Brock Shothouse here reporting live from a volcano. <laughs> so, That's pretty funny. Yeah. I wish, I wish Vinny had I actually. I thought that was not funny now. Like, I'll bet yeah. that went, there's probably a lot of stuff in there. Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. funny. Yeah. Because we were 19 <laughs> or 20 or whatever. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty yeah. funny. Well, and then the rest of the news story is that uh, everyone thinks that ice cream's going to come out of the volcano, but it turns out it is scalding lava, which is a very uh, Norm. I think probably you or I came up with that line because that's a very Norm MacDonald type of line. Scalding yeah. lava. I don't remember the storyline at all. Oh, that's um, the only part I remember. Um, yeah, it was like a kid who was friends with a ghost. <laughs> I think. So. I anyway, think so. oh, uh, Vinny, if you are listening and you still, uh, have, and you still have this, get on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Um, uh, okay. Let's get back to uh, you. Who still have more to talk about? Right? Uh, yeah, I only have. I only have a couple. I talked about uh, Truffaut already. Uh, so I want to. I know how I'm going to end, so I'll talk about Spike Jones. Okay, um, he's on my list. Yeah. So. Uh, it's interesting because, I mean, he was in Wolf of Wall Street. He was in, had sort of a cameo in, in Moneyball, not as himself. Um, he has a very specific presence. He has a sort of a higher voice, uh, which definitely... Uh, 
sets off a contrast between him and Brad Pitt's character in Moneyball that uh, Robin Wright used to be married to Brad Pitt. Now she's with this guy who's a lot less intense. But to me, his performance in Three Kings, which is not a one or two scene situation. It is a he's a full blown supporting character. He's it's called Three Kings, but it really should be four because he's a major character in the film. And and Spike Jones is, is somebody who I think when you when you hear him speak extemporaneously, um, he's very intelligent. But I think there can I think he can twist it, and there can be a certain vacant look in his eyes, which he which is how he plays the character in Three Kings, because uh, he's not a smart guy in that. Yeah. Uh, but he's enthusiastic, yeah. uh, and it's just such an odd bit of casting. Again, like and he has one of the funniest lines in the movie, which is. I don't really have a day job. Uh, and, the, oh, and then the smash cut to him just... Well, uh, it's, the, it's the opposite. It shows what each, each of them... Like, it's like, do you want to go back to your day, day jobs? And it shows each of them working like shitty day, day jobs. Like Ice Cube is like a, the guy who loads the yeah. luggage onto the plane in the cold. And then it's just a, a sequence of Spike Jones with a sawed-off shotgun blowing away stuffed animals. And yes. it cuts back and he's like, I don't really have a day job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's an instance where, you know... As I said before, I, I admittedly somewhat tongue in cheek, um, the idea that oh they're taking work from you know reliable character actors, but in the case of of Spike Jones, I think he's great. Like he ta- he yeah. he takes that role and makes it his own to such an extent that I can't imagine somebody else in it. I mean, I can sorry, I can maybe imagine I like can. a Giovanni BC. I can imagine uh, like a young Sam Rockwell in okay. that type yeah. of role. So it's not that I can't; it's that why would I? Cause I think right. he does such a great job. So I only have one more okay, and to so me gonna, and to me, it's a big one. So I'm going to burn through some more, but although maybe I am going to hit on yours. Maybe is yours like, can I just see who's your, who yours is? So I don't do this. Um, okay. Okay. Yes. I was going to get to him. So I will okay. uh, hold him up. Uh, yeah. I just said him and realized I don't have any women on my list. Penny Marshall yeah. uh, was an actor who became a director, and then I guess she still acted, but I... I I, cert- I was very... I'm, I'm very aware that she was an actress first because, of course, Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I definitely came to think of her primarily as a as a director. She did, play, she did play herself in Get Shorty. Yeah, that's right. But are there any female directors who are directors first who act that you can think of not off the top of my head no Catherine Bigelow never seen her in a movie no Sophia Coppola I guess acted but that's not really what we're talking about right you mean uh, because her performance wasn't really acting <laughs> no, she wasn't a director yet uh, man there's probably something big that I'm that I'm missing but probably uh, yeah uh, okay so I'll I mean Agnes more. Varda uh, showed up in a lot of her own movies but often as herself yeah yeah um, um Okay, so I'm running through some here. Uh, Eli Roth. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. In Inglorious Bastards, uh, at least. Um, these are yeah. These are all people in their own movies. Orson Welles acted plenty uh, oh, yeah. outside of his own yeah. movies. Um, here's here's one. Uh, definitely started as an actor. Mm-hmm. This is I think this is another generational thing. I think of Ron Howard as a director first. Oh yeah. But people obviously who grew up watching him as Opie, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Or uh, Richie or Richie. Yeah. Like yeah. obviously think of him as an actor turned director, but by the time I came of age, you know, like backdraft had already come out. Apollo 13 was cocoon uh, at the right. T- yeah. Cocoon, like all this yeah. stuff. Um, I definitely think of him as an actor first, but that's 
probably an age thing. For our generation, probably the most notable non-director thing he's done is narrate Arrested Development. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because yeah. he's someone who, like, when he made the transition to director, he stopped acting. He would show up as himself on The Simpsons or something like that, mm-hmm. but that was it. Like, he didn't play characters. I don't... And I think that goes a long way to... Again, for people like us who like, oh, that director used to act and uh, like a lot. That's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah I definitely think of him f- primarily as a director. When we did our controversial journeyman episode, we mm-hmm. must have talked about on Howard, right? Uh, but he was probably the first one we talked about. Yeah, yeah. I think of him as a. And again, but, what we had to say after that episode, it's not an insult. There's nothing wrong oh, with yeah, being yeah. a that, solid journeyman director. Yeah, but but I do think that sometimes they don't get credit while they're alive. Right. Like I think 20, 30 years after Ron Howard passes away, mm-hmm. he will be looked on very fondly as a director who made a lot of really good movies. Yeah. And right now they're just sort of, his movies are sort of just sort of, he just seems reliably, uh, satisfactory in so many ways that we yeah. don't maybe discount how, um, uh, that, that he has a, a talent for filmmaking and he's made some bad movies sure too uh i don't know i didn't like cinderella man but you did right yeah i did it's you know what it's reliably satisfactory yeah i didn't see mind is not great i liked it more at the time when it came out i've grown past that i didn't see rush i've heard rush is great so um i liked solo i know a lot of people didn't and and i liked I didn't love, but I liked In the Heart of the Sea actually quite oh, a bit. I did not like that at all. Um, the only thing I liked was Anthony Dodd Mantle's It was beautiful, yeah. Yeah, that was um, the thing I really responded to. All right, uh, let me see if I have any more on here. I mentioned Rob uh, Reiner. Oh, yeah, last, last two. Uh, these are a little bit more uh, slightly obscure, but um, the lead actor in Ingmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries oh, yeah. is Victor Sjostrom, yeah. uh, who made the landmark silent film The Phantom Carriage, which mm-hmm. I, I love because it's like kind of uh, macabre and spooky and no. it's, it's not really a horror movie but it's about death and it has ghostly imagery and yeah. it's very like it's kind of gothy and gothy sorry my midwestern accent came out and gothy kind of gothy kind of gothy uh <laughs> and it's right up my alley i really like the phantom carriage and obviously i love wild strawberries and the last one i wanted to mention um he should have been a few things. Um, I mostly know him from a very small uh, recurring role in The Sopranos. Paul Mazursky. Oh, yeah. Is a director who yeah. has acted and has a very uh, distinct, uh, not a lot of range, but a very distinct uh, sort of presence on screen. And mm-hmm. he was um, uh, twice on The Sopranos. He played a card dealer who would deal with their sort of underground poker games, whose nickname was Sunshine. And he was, yeah. He would he would say funny things and then he got shot and killed when uh, when um, uh, Jackie Jr. and his dumb friends decided to hold up the the card game. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, because uh, he keeps spouting off. He, he's got a gun in his face and he keeps spouting off all these like aphorisms or whatever. Yeah. He's like, if you can keep your head while all about you lose theirs, and then he's like shot in the chest. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad, but it's funny. Um, and you know what? Actually, you mentioned Paul. I believe Paul Bartel. Um, shows up as an actor in things. Um, yeah, okay. Um, as an actor, oh yeah, he's shown up in, in quite a few things. I know that he's he, he, he there. <laughs> you and your five pound phone. Um, but I remember, uh, yeah, Paul Bartel, who directed um, uh, Eating Raul and 
I think, what is it, scenes from a mall or, or maybe he's... Wait, is he a Paul Bartel? Is he a mall cop? Hey, that's fun. Uh, no, maybe he's just in scenes from a mall. Damn, now I don't remember. But uh, oh, yeah, I know who this guy is. Yeah, but yeah, I've seen him in in a number of things. He has a very specific look to him. Uh, but I think I remember him again. Not a lot of like <laughs> huge roles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not a lot of huge roles. But uh, I remember him being um, in Usual Suspects. He's a, a character that is uh, that they steal from. Um, but uh, okay, so. Um, the, the last one that I want to mention is, is a big one. And you, you already, uh, sort of touched on this a little bit. Um, the idea of a, of a well-known silent director who continued to direct, but I think for people like us is probably known more for his acting, which is Eric von Stroheim, Mm -hmm. who was in a number of things, but I think of him primarily for Sunset Boulevard and then, uh, Grand Illusion. I've which seen you've not seen. Yeah. It's a, I love it. I think it's a, I mean, as much as I love rules of the game and I do really love it, I do prefer grand illusion. I think it's, I think just because of the stuff that it's trying to do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in both cases, uh, he plays a very proper guy, uh, you know, the Butler in, um, mm-hmm. Sunset Boulevard. And then this, uh, commandant, uh, in, grand illusion just a guy who's very very regimented and has a a very specific outlook on life uh and is very devoted to certain things um in sense boulevard obviously he's devoted to norma desmond and will just do anything for her uh and then in uh grand illusion he's you would think that he's devoted to the idea of you know he's a german soldier he's devoted to germany he's not he is devoted to his class and one and that's one of the neat things about the film is that he captures a you know he runs a a, a prisoner of war camp and so a he captures a french soldier who is sort of in the same class and so they become friendly if not outright friends um Mm. and so he's way more committed to that than he is to his country specifically um and so and underneath both is a real sadness um and a real melancholy and he doesn't necessarily he probably shows it more overtly in uh grand illusion but uh whereas he does not he really doesn't try to he really doesn't let the veneer uh crack right mm-hmm. yeah he doesn't let the veneer really crack in sunset boulevard but it's still there in his eyes if you just see like there'll be moments where he's not saying anything he's just watching and in his eyes you see a yearning because he used to be with norman desmond clearly still wants to be yeah but also a real sadness because he knows this is not going to happen yeah but i'm this has been what am i going to do now i can't go you know, I can't go back to my old life. She's been my life for so long. Um, and the fact that, you know, she was a silent star and I think his character was a silent director. Yes. Um, that's something I, sunset Boulevard, when I first saw it, I was too young. I mean, I I liked it, but I thought it was just another sort of like big, like grand sort of melodrama of that Mm -hmm. Hollywood era. I don't, a lot of its weirdness and darkness and satire, was completely lost to me when I was, when I was young. And the, I mean, like there is so much about that film that is, I guess what you'd call a uh, meta textual. Yeah. Um, 
and just the idea of it, it's all about just the craven nature of Hollywood and the idea of chewing you up and spitting you out and just not need, discarding you when you're not needed. And then the choice by Billy Wilder to people his, uh, you know, his yeah. film and not just with those two characters, but like when she's playing bridge, it's Buster Keaton's there, you know, uh, he's one of the people she's playing with and he has a line where he just says pass, pass and that's it. Uh, so it's, you see these people and I think obviously you, uh, for, for the audience at the time, I have no doubt they'd be like, Oh, and maybe even thinking like, Oh <laughs> yeah, I haven't thought about them in a while. Um, and so I definitely think that it's something, yeah, even if you know the way we do, even if you know, who they used to be, I think it's, it'd be very different if you were the, if you watched the film in 1950, you probably had a pretty solid, a, a, a direct memory of who these people were. And so I think it would be much more of a punch to the stomach, uh, yeah. when you see them. Well, I think we covered it. Sure. We covered every single director who acts. Everyone. Uh, we got them all, uh, like pokey, like Pokemon. Um, <laughs> You can find us at battleshippretension.com. You can email us at davidbattleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. This week, uh, sorry, I'm on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Uh, sorry, Davey Pretension. This week on the site, oh, what's going on? Uh, I wrote about Boys in the Hood for the Monday movie. Uh, oh, the movie Meltdown had Alex Cox yeah. on the show. That's awesome. Um, Alex wrote about a Fred Scapizzi movie for the Criterion Prediction. Um, Jim didn't like uh, Mike Lee's Naked. Um, I, also I did re- not expect him to. <laughs> I reviewed a couple of, of Blu-ray releases, Do the Right Thing, and The Fate of Lee Khan, and there's some theatrical reviews and whatnot up there as as well. Uh, Tyler, you're on on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Yes. Uh, do you have anything else to plug? I know uh, one lesson the podcast is on hiatus. Yeah, uh, for the foreseeable future. I do want to bring it back at some point. I just don't have the damn time. Um, uh, nothing right now, but probably in the next few weeks, there's going to be uh, some big announcements. Ooh, so yeah. It's an exciting time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.